names in my mind that stick out as a very different in their style and methodology. The first was a professor who's an older gentleman. He taught Old Testament prophets, and it was a hard class. It was an upper-level class. And uh, the class basically went something like we'd, he'd have the assigned readings, and we'd go to class, and he would meander for an hour in a lecture, and uh, that was it. And then we'd come back, and we were supposed to do the assigned readings, and we'd try to take notes on the, on the lectures, but the, the lectures were hard to track. They were hard to follow. Uh, some of you may feel that way about my preaching sometimes. Um, it, it, was, it was hard to, to keep notes. It was hard to take uh, precise notes and figure out exactly what it was the professor wanted us to know. In addition to that, there were the readings that w- often didn't coordinate with the lectures. And so it was very, very difficult for me to take the test. Because every time he, he had an examination... Uh, there, it was, I had studied, I had done the reading, I had uh, taken notes diligently, but always, always the test was so much different than anything he had talked about or lectured on or anything in the readings. I was really struggling, and I don't consider myself a bad student. I got tutoring. I got, there was one other guy in the class who was doing really well. I sat down with him for several sessions and said, show me what you're doing because I don't know how to do it. And um, even that, even after that, I still struggled. It was a, a, a class that I really, to this day, have not great memories of. There was another professor, a second professor, much more gracious, much more merciful. Now, he had assigned readings, he had uh, uh, the syllabus, he had lectures. We all had to do the, principally the same things, do the readings, listen to the lectures, take notes. But, but he did a beautiful thing every time it came time for an examination, and it was this. Now, students, if you'd like to know what will be on the test, listen up. And he would go through, I'm pretty sure he actually took the test and read from the test and told us exactly what would be on the test. So if if you listened and paid attention, you would do quite well on the test because the teacher understood his students. And he wanted them to know what he wanted them to know. He wasn't trying to trick us. He wasn't trying to... to, uh, be the, the difficult professor, the difficult class. He, he, he just wanted us to succeed. Today's topic, today's subject is something that Jesus talked about. And between those two professors, you need to know that Jesus, your Lord and Master, is much more like the second professor than the first. He wants you to do the readings. He wants you to take notes in your lives and he's even told you what's going to be on the test. And today's subject is going to be on the test. We are in a series called Rhythm. And rhythm, as we said, is a strong, rather regular, repeated pattern of living or movement. We said that God must be that strong, centered, repeated pattern of movement in our lives, throughout every area of our lives. It's not compartmentalization. It's not, here's church, and here's entertainment, and here's family, and here's relationships, and here's, you know, it's not that way. It's, it's that God is woven throughout every area of the tapestry of our lives. To this point, and I realize we've had a couple of weeks where we got off series, uh, but we talked about trusting God, and we talked about having mercy. And today, we're going to talk about a tough one but it is going to be on the test. 
Today we're talking about learning to lower yourself. This is much harder than it sounds. It is not easy to lower yourself. And I'm fully aware as I tell you how much you should lower yourself, how I've literally just raised myself by going up here. It's hard to do. It's hard to actually lower yourself. We are ingrained with self-centeredness. We want to do what we want to do. And we care very little for anyone else. To illustrate... Let me show you the picture, a picture of one of the most selfish people I know. Now, that baby is cute. By the way, that's not any Northside babies, so not picking on anybody. Cute though they are, a baby is horribly selfish. A baby thinks nothing about how exhausted his mother or father are. If he gets uh, awakened in the middle of the night, he will cry and cry and cry. If he's hungry, he'll cry and cry and cry. He does not care a whim about anyone else. If you think about it, whenever you were a baby, those were some pretty good years, weren't they? And someone else fed you. Someone else changed you. Someone else tended to your needs someone else bathed you and soothed you and you didn't have to give a single thought to anyone else the problem is that that's not how god intended us to live though that's how we start out in life god did not intend us to live as babies forever In fact, someone said the first two years are are good and they're all about you and you care nothing for anyone else. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to unlearn all the things you learned in those first couple of years. This is really difficult, especially for us, especially in our world. I'll tell you, in our world, especially in our culture, we have a high expectation of being served. We want to be served. Uh, when they installed the self-checkout at Dillon's, uh, I'm pretty sure there was almost going to be a mutiny. People were upset. People didn't like it. Uh, how many of you will go to uh, Walmart and intentionally, purposely, out of principle, stand in the line of the only cashier who is there? Because I'm not going to do it. I'm not serving myself. Somebody, Okay. You can argue about that all you want, but, but that tells us something about ourselves in our culture. I do, I do the same thing. I don't like, you know, having to pay someone to buy something and then pay to check out my own stuff. And they, you know, the computers never get it right and there's always scanning the bananas 72 times and they have to bring somebody over and it's a whole mess. But there, there, there's something ingrained within me that I want to point out to you and that is Toby likes to be served. He wants someone to serve him. And when, when that gets interrupted, uh, there, well, we become painfully aware of our selfishness. I don't like slow service. You ever, ever go to a restaurant and you, you just, you know, if they, the, 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 you see the waiter maybe one time and it takes forever and you've already eaten through all the chips and you're kind of looking around and you're, you're, you're looking at those people who came in after you and like they're getting served and their food's coming out and, and you're, 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 you're starting to judge for you. I you'd be doing the mental calculation of what the tip's going to be or more precisely what it's not going to be, you know. And, you know, you, you get that way, don't you? 
I've been there. We all do it. There's something within ourself, that baby us, that likes to be served. You knew this was coming. I don't like to wait in the line at the drive-thru. I'll have to do it probably today. I'll have to go somewhere at the drive-thru. And I will constantly be comparing them to another chicken restaurant that I know. It's just, they spoil you. I mean, when, when, when you go to... Chick-fil-A and they got 15 people out helping you and, and it's two lines all the way out to the curb, but it's moving so fast. And then you go to another place and it's just like you're sitting there and it's like it's 10 minutes and it just takes forever. And, and I can point that out, but what that really points back is something in me that I want to be served and I want it to be fast and I want it to be now because I got things to do and I'm important and don't you understand who I am? And you see, these are all a symptom of a larger problem, and that problem is this. We want, we expect to be served. We expect to be served at restaurants. We expect to be served at hotels. We expect to be served in our entertainment. We expect to be served in our schools. We even expect to be served in our churches. I'm not picking on anybody, but when you go church shopping... There is a mindset of what is in it for me, for us, for our family. Do they have stuff for our kids? Do they have stuff for the youth group? Do they they have high-quality stuff? Do they have a bunch of classes where I can go and sit and be fed? And I want to be fed really well, but not too much, not too convicting. But I want to be fed, but I really don't want to teach. I really don't like to do that. You know, do, do we have this expectation? Do they have ministries and programs and things that fit the things that I want? You see, if we're honest... We expect to be served even at church, even within a church community. If we're not careful, we can let our worldly attitude and our selfishness slip into the body of Christ. And you need to know that this is not a new problem. It actually originated even before the church began when two of Jesus' disciples made an unusual request. If you're following along in your Bible, and I hope that you are, turn to page 1086. 1086, which will take you to Mark chapter 10. That's by 1086 in the Pew Bible, okay? If you, if you don't have a Pew Bible, go to Mark chapter 10, and, and we're going to start in verse about 30, 35 for this request of James and John. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we wanted you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Isn't that audacious? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I wonder if they understood exactly the one of whom they were making this request. I wonder if they understood how much he had already done for them and would do for them. They continue, and and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? I kind of think he got a smile uh, coming across his lip, and they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said, you do not know what you are asking. They had an expectation that Jesus was going to be king. They were right about that fact. 
In fact, they, he is king. But what they didn't understand is he's a very different kind of king. And he had a very different expectation. You see, James and John very likely believed that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman authorities. He's going to free the Jewish people once and for all. This almighty, well-known king who could heal people and impact people and change and teach in ways they'd never heard. And they thought, this guy, if anybody's going to be king, it's going to be this guy. And so we better be in the inner circle as quickly as possible. Jesus rightly said they did not know what they were asking. Jesus had a very different expectation of his students, of his followers. Jesus expects his disciples to be servants. His students were to be servants. His his high expectation was that they would take a very low position. And he expected that of them because he knew that he himself would do the same thing. His high expectation was that not just they, but that all of us be people who take the low position. Now look what he told them in response to this. Now, of course, there's this interaction between them and the disciples. And uh, verse 41 is about where we are. When the ten heard it, now just think what they must have thought when they heard what James and John had asked Jesus to do for them. They became indignant at James and John. Look what Jesus says, verse 42. Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus had a different standard of leadership, and what leadership really meant in the kingdom of God. We need to understand that if we are kingdom people, that what leadership looks like is very, very different than what the world has for us. You see, in the world, when you want to be successful, what it means is you gradually take a step up. You get promoted. You get the, you get the corner office. You're at the top of the org chart. You're going up the corporate ladder. You're going up. You're elevating yourself. In politics, the same thing. You might start out running for a small local office, and then you step up and you run for the state office, and then you step up and you run for the, the, the U.S. Senate or uh, House of Representatives. Maybe you step up into the executive branch. You see, it's all about stepping up in the world in so many ways. It's all about stepping up. But in the kingdom, it's very, very different. It's in fact all about stepping down, about lowering yourself. In fact, the one who came before Jesus, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the prophet who people went out to see in the wilderness, When his disciples began to see that Jesus' disciples were baptizing people, and they were worried, they were getting a ministry competition, and John's attitude was very much the right attitude, if you remember what it was. 
He said, he who comes after me is greater than me. He must become greater and I must become less. John understood. John understood what it meant to be, what this new kingdom was going to be about. Jesus called us to go lower. Jesus' example, not just his expectation, but his example was to serve his disciples. Jesus was their master, their teacher, their rabbi. And to understand in that culture what that meant, that truly was an elevated position. In fact, if I could just show you one of the things that they did. Um, if you would for me, just humor me. I know this is the slow part of the sermon, so just go ahead and stand up. Take a seventh inning stretch. In their culture... When a rabbi or a good teacher was going to teach, what happened was often instead, see, we do it where I stand and you sit. That's very convenient for you. In their culture, when it came time for the rabbi to teach, he sat while everyone else stood. Now, you think the sermon's long now. You see, they understood that the rabbi, that the teacher was worthy of honor, worthy of being seated. And they were the ones who were to stand. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so he lowered himself. This example to us was very strong. We know that Jesus, even though he was by nature God, Philippians 2 says, he did not consider equality with God to be something to take hold of or to be grasped. But he, he lowered himself, taking the very nature of a servant. Now, you guys can be seated because I know I'm getting those annoyed looks like, how long is he going to do that? Jesus was their master and their teacher. And though he was worthy of honor, he himself didn't exclude himself from lowering himself. He wanted them to understand that he was a different kind of king and they would be working in a different kind of kingdom. And show it, to show his disciples what he expected, he did probably the most famous example of leadership that we know of in the Bible, John chapter 13, verses 14 and following. And I do hope you'll turn there, Jesus takes the opportunity at the feast of the Passover to serve his disciples in a way that was most powerful. John chapter 13, this is page 1155 in the Pew Bible. And I'm going to start at verse 12 of John 13. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Now, did you catch what John put there? He resumed his place. Where was he? Uh, he was down here. He was washing dirty, stinking, disgusting feet of his disciples, of his students, the ones. And Peter responded quite appropriately. Lord, I, I'm not. How can I let you wash my feet? And Jesus said, uh, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And Peter said, well, just wash the whole thing then. If that's what it takes. Do you understand what I have done to you? You all call me teacher and Lord. And you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a master a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. May we not forget, we all know that Jesus served by washing his disciples' feet. That wasn't the point. Jesus' will was not that you walk out of here going, in John 13, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That wasn't his point to them or to us. The point was, you're blessed if you do it. It's not about knowing it. It's about the doing it. And that's what Jesus intended to teach. At Northside, we we take this seriously. We believe it's a kingdom value that saved people serve people. That's a part of who we are, the scripture that was read for you. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, sometimes we get into the gifts thing, and we think, well, I'm not that gifted of a person. All of us have common gifts. All of us can do certain things. My guess is 99.9% of you came today to worship in a car. Have you ever asked, well, how could I use that gift that God's given me to serve someone else? How could I use that to bless another person? I don't know if you remember uh, the name Elizabeth Bruce. Elizabeth Bruce is a new member at Northside. She's right here down front. And uh, she's recently placed membership at Northside. Uh, one of the things that she told Mark when she go through the membership placement process, he kind of interviews and learns their gifts. One of the things that she remarked to him that he shared with us at our staff lunch, he said, Elizabeth said, Northside is home. Northside feels like home. And so he said, well, well tell me about that. What, what, what makes you say that? He said, well, uh, you know, it's people like the Tysons who, who helped and, and brought some meals when I was going through some things, and, and they were just right there. I didn't have to ask. They just served. It's people like Christy Hicks who, who when I was without a car, she, she Ubered me around, and she, she took me to places I needed to go. Well, Christy's doing, she's using her gift to serve others. She's manifesting grace to Elizabeth, as was Kelly, in its various forms. When we read 1 Peter 4.10, I don't want you to get caught up with, I have to have some super spiritual gift. No, we've all got gifts. Common gifts, special gifts, unique gifts. Of course, the point is not what you have. The point is how do you use it? Save people, serve people, you see. We believe at Northside that... Service is not an option. It's not just a program. It's not just a ministry. It's a part of our DNA, not just at Northside, but as kingdom people. You see, to, to lift, you have to lower. We believe in lifting uh, people up. We, we want to lift them toward God, not lift them to think about themselves, but we want to lift them toward focusing on God and being more like Christ but to lift someone, you have to lower someone. Now, I, I need a couple of teenagers for this illustration. Uh, uh, who to pull out? Grant and, and Carson, come on up, guys. By the way, thanks for the memo on, 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 on dressing alike. That's good. The red and black, that's good. Now, Carson, you're in seventh grade, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Now, Carson's in the youth group. So, he's... 
he is coming in, and, and please don't take this personally, but he's coming in as a, a lowly seventh grader. Okay? At this stage of the game, the seventh graders typically, you know, they're, they're smaller. They, they haven't hit that growth spurt yet. They're, they're not as well known in the youth group because, you know, they're just little sevies. They're, they're sort of on the, in the youth group ladder, they're sort of on the bottom rung, right? They just are taking their first steps. Here's the cool thing about the Northside youth group, at least as far as I know. The Northside has always been a place where our, our leaders understand what it means to lower. That our leaders understand that being a leader means to lift. So I've got a, a senior here, Grant. Grant graduates this, this coming year, right? 2020, right? Yep. Okay. And uh, he's a senior, big, strong guy, looks a lot like the preacher, you know, but muscular and... That wasn't a joke there, Dunham. Uh, <laughs> but he, he's, a, he's a leader, right? He's, he's someone that, that in a physical way, a lot of the kids look up to Grant, right? And they see him as a, as a leader. They're looking to him. So, so, so what I want you to do, guys, is, is illustrate this for us. Grant, would you mind to, uh, you know, in your position as a senior, as a leader, as a, someone that, looks, that people look to, would you... Would you be Christ-like and lift Carson up on the chair? I think this guy works out, don't you? Now, now see what happened here is very important. Because right now at this moment, do you see who's taller? I don't know if they get it from the picture. <laughs> Carson is just a little bit taller than Grant. Now, in order for that to happen... Grant had to lift him there. But, but, but can we back this up? Because some of you didn't get it. I, I want you to get this in, in slow-mo for just a second. Because what I want you to do, go ahead, slow-mo lift, stop right there. Now see, now in this moment, Grant is lifting Carson. Now you're all focusing on Carson, but what I want to focus on is on Grant. Grant's doing these deep knee bends, right? He, but he is, he's lowered himself. He's strained himself. He's working right here. My point is that serving other people is not easy. That lifting others requires sacrificing yourself. Strong guy now, aren't you? Laugh at the preacher, huh? Go ahead, lift him all the way. I want you to remember forever, that when it comes to who we are as kingdom people, it's a not about lifting yourself. We can't even do that. I mean, Carson, step down for just a second. Could, could, could you lift yourself on the chair for me? Just, just go ahead and take yourself and, and, and lift yourself. Could you do that? No, it's, it's kind of challenging, right? We, we need someone to lift us. So we need a grant. Go ahead. I won't make you do it slow-mo. To lower themselves and lift themselves. See, this was a John the Baptist attitude. He's greater. I'm less. I'm lowering myself for the purpose of lifting up someone else. May we not forget that, that save people, serve people. And there's a reason for that is because if you want to lift someone, you've got to lower yourself. We have the right attitude and the right spirit. Guys, thank you for your help. Appreciate it. So may we not forget that being a servant is crucial to who we are in Christ. It is a part of who we're to be. And when we say, we say at Northside, to lift, you have to lower. It means things like when I'm talking to Mike Yolman this morning, 
Of course, I told you, you know, Stacy's mom passed away. It's a hard time for the family. And, and I just said, hey, how can we help? And he said, Toby, you don't need to do anything. Because Northside's done everything. And I already know that's happened. People have called. People have sent, will send cards. Uh, people will bring food. And, and they'll, they'll be inundated by people who lower themselves to lift another. It, it, it's people like Luke and Jennifer Campbell. Luke and Jennifer Campbell, you know, in terms of, of length of service, they're a fairly new family. They've been here a few years. But Luke and Jennifer Campbell are, every time there's an opportunity to serve, they're jumping in and do it. it when, when it came time, they needed somebody to take over a trunk or treat. And they asked Luke and Jennifer. And they didn't even hesitate. They said, we'll do it. We had 1,100 folks from the community in our parking lot a couple of weeks ago. Because Luke and Jennifer lowered themselves. You know, that wasn't an easy thing. I mean, they were hauling vanfuls and vanfuls full of candy. They were coordinating volunteers. They were, they were worrying about whether they'd have enough trunks to get signed up. I mean, that's a hard job. But they lowered themselves that they might lift up Jesus. This past weekend, I, I was somewhere and, and I... Uh, what I was doing, they wanted some information, and I shared my name, and, and they said, where do you work? I said, Northside Church of Christ. And she just stopped. She put her pen down. She said, you guys have a, a, like a trunk or treat a couple of weeks ago? I said, yeah. She said, I was there. That was really cool. That was amazing. You got, your, your church is amazing that you can pull that off. And I just smiled, and I thought of Luke and Jennifer and the many other people who were involved in serving in that way. Was that easy? Was that Well, let me ask it a different way. Was that inconvenient? Oh, yeah. I mean, did they leave, you know, was, was it require a lot of work? Was there trash? Was there, you know, people parking on the lawn and all of that? Oh, yeah. But that's who we are in Northside. We lower to lift. It's part of who Jesus expected us to be in the kingdom. This week, we're going to have a couple of funerals. And, and I've already made calls on one of them. You know, I call Cheryl, and I say, we're going to need meals for about 50 folks for lunch. She says, I got it. Don't worry about it. Call Karen and Archie, and I say, we're, we're, we're going to need some singers. Uh, okay, we'll handle it. Just tell us what the songs are. I have some people running audio video in the back. All right, we'll do it. Don't, don't worry about it. We got to cover That's who we are at Northside. And if you came to Northside just to sit and to be served, you're going to get increasingly uncomfortable. Because Northside is not a place where we want you to be comfortable. We want you to be lowered in order that you might lift. We want you, in in essence, to serve like Jesus served. And when you do this, when you do what Jesus intended his disciples to do, It makes such a huge impact. You grow spiritually because you become far less concerned with yourself. I think of the ambassadors who reach out to guests, who reach out to to shut-ins and and people who need encouragement. And they do that quiet behind the scenes. They don't like a lot of announcements about it. But if you've got the gift for encouraging, you, you could lower yourself and help be a part of the ambassadors. 
you, you, when you serve, you have the opportunity to connect with community. When, when you have the opportunity to work together and serve together, what happens there is there's a unique bond. This happens with things like Wichita Work Camp. It happens serving in the Women's Conference. It, it happens serving uh, the folks who are going to serve up the funeral meals. It's just those working together moments, those lowering kind of moments, those underrowing kind of moments when the people who are doing the rowing find themselves connected with their fellow rowers. So if you want to grow more mature in Christ, if you want to be who Christ intended you to be, if you want to connect in the community, in the body of Christ, then the first thing, to, the best thing to do is to begin serving. I know the temptation is, well, I'll just wait until somebody comes ask me. And, and maybe our leaders need to be better about asking people to serve. But I got to tell you, the people that mostly get connected at Northside are people who just jump in and go for it and make it happen. And so may we tend toward that as opposed to just waiting for someone to ask. Brenda Heller asked me, uh, I think it was a year ago, maybe two years ago, because we had started working with Pleasant Valley Elementary. And we were at that time just, we had just done the backpack uh, delivery and, and all of you, many of you have been a part of that. Uh, Brenda said, um, came to me and said, I, I'd like to help coordinate, you know, getting some winter coats for these kids. And I said, that sounds great. Let's go for it. And she did. She was running all over, getting coats and getting signups and, and getting donations and making it happen. And we, we had, so, I mean, I forget. We had way more coats. We just, way more than we expected. Northside delivered hugely. Because Brenda said, hey, I see an opportunity there. And she jumped in and she lowered herself to lift. Now, here's the cool part, rest of that story. This last Thursday, the staff, the church staff, we went out for lunch to celebrate uh, Bob's retirement. Not really celebrate. That sounds bad, like we're waiting for him to leave. <laughs> to celebrate, <laughs> to honor Bob, okay? We're sitting there at DeFazio's, and, and, and we, we have this meal. And as I'm kind of sitting on the end of the table, and there's another group, and I notice they kind of keep looking over at us. We did something wrong or whatever. Anyways, as they finish up their meal, they get up, and one of the ladies comes over to right next to me, and she says, you guys with Northside? Uh, yeah, who's asking? <laughs> she said, oh, we're, a bunch of us are from Pleasant Valley Elementary. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for blessing our school. That's, we haven't had that in a long, long time. That's because of people like Brenda Heller and many of you who have made donations and served in different ways Pleasant Valley. You see, it makes an impact. Serving is not just about ministry within the church. That's a good place to start, but it's really about a way of living. And so there's a question that you can ask that's crucial to having this mindset. If you want to be more like Jesus, simply begin asking this four-word question. How can I help? How can I help? If you begin asking that with people that need something, instead of just saying, well, I'll pray for you, you say, how can I help? If you're with a coworker, you can tell is struggling, step beside them and say, how can I help? If we as a church surround our community and say, how can we help? It makes an impact and it will change everything. It will change your marriage, your parenting, your workplace, your church, your relationships.
that can be changed by four simple words. How can I help? Now, always, always, in a sermon like this, there's two groups of people. There are, there are people that are involved in 80% of the ministries at Northside, and they hear a sermon like this and like, you know, I've been feeling pretty bad about myself. I'm only doing 11 things tomorrow. Probably better do one more thing. Uh, you're not who I'm preaching to. <laughs> I'm, sitting to the, I'm, I'm preaching to the people who have no ministry they're involved in, who come and sit and be served. Uh, like Tristan talked about this morning, they're sort of on the taking side of things. And you can come to Northside and take and take and take, but you need to know that's not within our DNA. We are people who want to serve and to lower ourselves. And so we hope that you'll come and not just be served, because we all get there at some point, but live to serve. Serving is inconvenient, messy, costly, and hard, but it is the thing that makes the most impact. I read a story from a friend on Facebook, and she gave me permission to share this. She's a nurse, and she wrote, wrote this. I was taking care of a hospice patient today. Her husband was kind of mean and giving me a hard time. She probably doesn't have much time. A week, maybe. I sent a couple patients home today, and so I had a little extra time in the afternoon. And so I went and sat in their room right next to him while she slept. He insisted that we keep the lights off so that she could sleep. And so we sat there in the dark looking at the wall. I asked him if he had a support system back home, family or or friends or a church. He replied, no, I have none of those. And, And I don't believe in God either. And then he took a moment and he said something additional. He said, you would be amazed about how many people will say, you're in my prayers, I'll pray for you. But they would never do anything more. They'd never come by to visit. They would never volunteer to help. Just to do a single load of laundry, to help with a meal, or to come by to talk with her, to get her mind off of things. I'm working three jobs. I'm still taking care of most everything for the two of us. And, And I sat there listening as tears started rolling down this man's cheeks. And this big burly dude gave me the biggest bear hug. It's a good reality check. A reminder. I was very humble. How easy is it just to say an encouraging word and move on? I keep thinking about all the laundry and all the dishes and all the things I could have done that they could probably use help with. It seems so small of an act, like maybe it doesn't matter, and yet the meaning of the act, the actual elimination of just one thing from his plate could have made all the difference in the world. It's a great reminder that the grouchy mean guy in the baseball t-shirt may be more than just a mean man. He's a soul created in the image. God. We all have opportunities, and we not miss them. And I don't want to discourage you from praying for people, but maybe we should start asking the question, how can I help? Or if you see the opportunity to help, say, let me help by, and then doing something. Not against prayer, 
Jesus, or uh, the brother of Jesus, rather, in James chapter 4, verse 17, said, Whoever knows the good he ought to do and fails to do it. Well, that's sin. I told you this is a hard topic because it convicts us all. We've all been there. And I told you that this is going to be on the test. And the reason I know that is from Matthew 25. And if you're still following along in your Bible, I want you to turn there. And if you're not following along in the Bible, pick up a Bible and turn there. Because Jesus told us what was going to be on the test. And this is important. If you want to know what it's going to be like when the judgment day comes, listen to Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats will be on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. For I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer to them, truly, I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it also to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Can't make it any more clearer than that. Jesus told us what would be on the test. He told us the standard that he will use. Did you serve him? Oh yes, oh yes, I serve Jesus. Well, how and who? It's convicting. But may we learn to lower ourselves as Jesus lowered himself. May we not forget that it matters Eternally so. This morning, if you do not know Jesus, if you have not lowered yourself to Jesus, if you have not bended a knee toward Him, if you have not confessed with your tongue that He is Lord, this morning will be a wonderful time to do that. Because I'm telling you, Philippians 2 says, there is a day coming when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess. Today, it's your choice. That day It will not be your choice.
May you make the right choice this morning and lower yourself to him. Yield yourself to him. Acknowledge him as Lord and be lowered in the waters of baptism and be raised to walk in a new life living to serve. If you need to do that this morning, I would invite you down front and we'll be happy to help you. And if you have that need or any other need, please join us down front. Our shepherds seek to serve you as together we stand and sing.